Good morning, Grace Church. Um, if we can turn our Bibles uh, to Galatians chapter 5, looking at verse 1 through 6. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Now, if you don't have your own Bibles, uh, please do take note that we have the pew Bibles that are in front of you. And if you don't have a physical Bible at home, uh, we invite you to please uh, take one for yourself. It is our hope and our desire uh, that you take this book and you read it, and that God comes and meets with you in your reading of His Word. Now, before we get uh, started in the message, I just wanted to thank, I know they're not here right now, uh, but express our deep gratitude towards our children's ministry for leading us in worship uh, this morning. What a beautiful reminder that our children are not just the future of our church, they are the church today. What a beautiful reminder that our children are not just subjects of our ministry, but that they are fully capable of ministering back to us and to one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I'd love to do before we get into the message itself is uh, follow our children's lead and take a moment of silence and prayer and go before our God as His children. Uh, I don't really want to have an agenda for when we go to our Father. Uh, love for us to sit in the presence of our Father uh, and to silently tell Him whatever it is in our hearts. Maybe some of you are processing some of the things that happened during the week in your life or in the world around you. Uh, maybe others of you are filled with praise for God's goodness for your life. But whatever it is that uh, you are experiencing in your heart, let's take a moment now to go before God as His beloved children and face him and to speak to him as our father and so let's do that in silence for a moment and i'll open us up in prayer Our Father, for many of us today, our hearts may be filled with praise for what you have done in our lives. We may be celebrating many of the good things that happened to us during the week. And for others of us, God, here today, uh, it may be that our hearts are heavy. Be heavy because of the things that we experienced in our lives or what we see going on in the world today. But wherever, whatever the state of our hearts may be, God, we thank you for the example of our children that show us that we can go to a good father just as we are and to bring ourselves holy before him. And so, Father, as a good father, we pray that you would receive us now into your presence just as we are. And God, as we receive what you have to say to us in your word this morning, we pray that you would set our hearts free, free to be, uh, free to live out of our identity as your beloved children before the gaze of a loving Father who is for us and not against us. And so, God, we pray that you'll be with us now. May the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now, <clears throat> for those of you that have been following with us as, we went, as we've been going through a sermon series in the book of Galatians, um, going verse by verse, uh, what you might have noticed uh, was, has, uh, might have been that throughout this entire time, the Apostle Paul, the writer of the book of Galatians, has been emphasizing a Christian's freedom. And through different forms of arguments and different kind of patterns of speech, Paul has been pleading with us and saying, please do not be yoked again by what these false teachers are saying. We're going to get into that in a moment. But he has been pleading with us to know and to live out and experience the freedom that is available for people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, as you get uh, to today's message in Galatians chapter 5, today's passage is probably the most forceful Paul has been in exhorting God's people to live in that freedom. As a matter of fact, he puts it so strongly as to say there are real dangers that await you if you were to not live out of that sense of freedom that you have in Jesus Right? And so that's what we want to look at today, not just the glories of the freedom that is in store for those of us who put our trust in Jesus, uh, but the dangers that await us as well. And so it would do well for us to listen to what Paul has to say uh, on this topic as we consider what it means to be freed uh, in the good news of the gospel. So with that said, uh, let's turn our, turn our attention now to the reading of God's word that comes from Galatians chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 to 6. Let me read that for us now. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, the opening verse there, where it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. What many scholars say is that that verse right there is perhaps the summary statement of everything that Paul has said in the letter up to this point. For freedom Christ has set you free. Now, uh, if you're being thoughtful about it, you may be asking the question of like, what kind of freedom is Paul referring to? Right? What does this freedom look like? Now, uh, on this point, I found uh, the great reformer, uh, Martin Luther. Uh, he wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians that was extremely helpful in thinking through this. And there he, sa- and there he asked the same question. When Paul says, uh, uh, it is for freedom Christ has set you free, what kind of freedom is Paul uh, thinking about? Well, he says there are uh, three ways to think about this freedom, and one of them is the one that Paul had in mind. First is a civil kind of freedom. Right, freedom that free citizens get to enjoy, right? certain immunities and privileges that uh, come along with living in a free state. And Martin Luther says, no, that's not what Paul is talking about here. 
The second kind of freedom that Martin Luther uh, brings up is the kind of uh, carnal freedom. The freedom to do basically whatever it is that we want with our bodies without being hindered by any kind of moral restriction. And Paul wasn't talking about that either. The third kind of freedom that Martin Luther brings up is a divine freedom. Freedom from the wrath of God. And Martin Luther says that is the kind of freedom that Paul is talking about. Now, as modern Westerners, we don't really like to think about the wrath of God much, do we? It just sounds primitive. It sounds judgy, right? And there, uh, there's a biblical scholar uh, that, that described the wrath of God in a way that made perfect sense for us, not to soften the reality of the wrath of God, uh, but to uh, bring it into the realm of human experience. And this, uh, he says uh, this about the wrath of God. He says, wrath of God is not the irritability of God, as we often think, but God's love in friction with injustice. He says, the wrath of God is not the irritability of God, but the love of God in friction with injustice. And in this particular context, it's talking about the injustice that lives inside every single one of us, every single one of our hearts. And so to be freed from this wrath of God means that you are freed from condemnation and freed to know that God is always and forever for you and not against you. And so having brought up this idea of freedom, Paul says uh, very forcefully, he says, stand in this freedom. Do not be swayed left and right. Do not be molded over by these forces that are around you that we'll get into in a moment. But he says, stand firm in this freedom. So what I'd like for us to do today is to look at this topic of Christian freedom and say three things about it. First, we're going to see why this freedom is so important. Secondly, we're going to take a look at how it can be lost. And lastly, we'll take a look at how we can keep this freedom. When it comes to Christian freedom, we're going to take a look at why it's important, how it can be lost, and how we are to keep it. So first, let's take a look at why it's important. Now, it's, it would be helpful for us to know a little bit of the context here. The book of Galatians, uh, as many of you may know, was written to Gentile believers, non-Jews, right? And, and it is written to them, and in the context of this letter, uh, these were people that believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and became believers and followers of Him, uh, but was finding themselves in a state in which there were all of these false teachers that were uh, coming into their ranks and basically saying, you know what, you believe in God, that is wonderful. You believe in the good news of the gospel, that is a, a wonderful. I, I am so glad for you that you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, but now that you have become a Christian, guess what? Now you have to follow uh, the old Jewish customs and laws and rituals. Why? Because you have now become a people of God. So it makes sense for you to follow the traditions of the people of God that have come before you. And the first and foremost among those rituals were circumcision. And so these false teachers were coming in and speaking to all the men in the congregation that were Gentiles and, and saying, you, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to be uh, circumcised. 
And Paul looks at that and says, uh, he doesn't say, as if it wasn't clear throughout the book of Galatians, he doesn't say, no, it's just a matter of preference. You know what, like, let, let's appease this portion of the congregation. And so, you know, it might just be easier for some of you to go through with it. You know, it's not, well, it is kind of a big deal, but uh, it's not a big deal. Uh, and, and why don't we just do that so that we can kind of keep the peace? Paul says, no, absolutely not. He will have none of it. And he says, uh, if you are going to be circumcised, if you go through with this, he says, Christ will be of no advantage to you whatsoever. He saw it as a black and white issue. He says, if you are to be justified by the law, right, as these false teachers are looking to sway you towards, if you're going to be justified by the law, he even goes as far as to say, you are going to be severed from Christ. You're going to be completely cut off. Now, why is Paul using such strong language? He tells us, because it is for freedom Christ has set you free. Here's what Paul is saying. The entirety of Christ's mission the whole reason why he came into this world and did the things that he did for you was for the purpose of liberation. The entirety of Christ's mission was about setting you free so that you could live as freed people. And, to, and for anybody to come in and try to take even an ounce of freedom away from you is to deny the efficacy of what Christ has done. As one author put it, freedom is both the means and the ends of the Christian life. Freedom is both the means and the ends of the Christian life. The entirety of the Christian life should be one that is marked by freedom. Now what follows is this, that there are two implications of this. One is negative and the other is positive, right? The negative implication of this is this. Uh, if you were to walk away from this kind of freedom, that means you are walking away from the Christian life and worse, you are walking away from Christ himself. See, at this point, Paul's concern, right, uh, in his writing of this letter and warning the Galatian church away from this kind of legalistic, moralistic living was not just pastoral. But what he was concerned about, first and foremost, was the honor of Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way. <clears throat> Years ago, when I was in college ministry, uh, I was doing ministry in Manhattan, which meant uh, you would get many of you may know, in Manhattan, there's tons of kind of art colleges, right, art schools, and so you would get from all across the country uh, folks that were uh, looking to get into art, right, looking to make a career uh, out of art, and I remember uh, one, of the, one of the hardest conversations that I had with, was with a student. Uh, she was from uh, Florida, and she uh, came to attend a ballet school in the city, and uh, I was just, you know, getting to know her, and I found out that the school that she's going to is not really credentialed, right? So after her graduation, she would not be getting a degree, but it was a prestigious enough school that if she were to be kind of top of the top of the class there, right, she would have a good shot at joining kind of a, a really good ballet company. 
and she was about, I think she was sophomore at the time, and uh, I was sitting with her, and she was saying, basically saying, like, I, I'm not getting noticed by anybody. And she was saying, but you know, like, I, I think I really need to be here, right? Uh, being a ballerina is like my passion, and, uh, and, I, and I think God is calling me to it, and, and so you know what, I'm going to stick it through, uh, even though it's costing my parents tons of money for me to live in the middle of Manhattan. And I remember thinking at the time, it was just really hard for me to say, but I, and at some point I said, you know what, like, if, I'm really sorry to say, if it has not worked out by this point for you, it is very likely that it's not going to work out. And it was a devastating for, uh, thing for me to say to uh, the student, and it was certainly hard for the student to hear it. Eventually, it turned out to be a helpful thing uh, at the end. But why is it so, why was it so hard for me to say those words? And why would it have been so hard for that student to hear those words? Why? Because for this student, her entire life was marked by a ballet. Right, she, learned, she learned all of the, she, you know, she went to classes and those kinds of things since she was a, a wee little child, right? Now she came to the big city with big dreams of making it as a ballerina, right? Being a part of this uh, prestigious company that, that she really wanted to be a part of. And so for me to say, I, I don't think it's going to work out for you, was basically taking her identity apart. Now, for us to look at Jesus Christ and to say, you know what, like the thing that you did for us on the cross and all the ways that you uh, uh, loved us and, and all of the things that you did while on earth, like all of those things are great. I acknowledge that. But what I really need right now is a little bit of justification that comes from the law. For us to do that would be to sling mud at the cross and saying and discrediting the entirety of what Jesus' mission here on earth was about. See, to walk away from this Christian freedom that is secured for us in little and small ways, whether it's through rituals or uh, deep down in our hearts, is to uh, deny everything that Jesus was for and deny everything that Jesus had worked for. Right, so that's the negative connotation of it. But here's the positive side of it. <clears throat> if you were to walk in this freedom that was secured for you, it's not, going, it's not just going to be deeply satisfying for you, but as it goes, it's going to be honoring to Jesus. Now, what does this look like? Now, let, let me just go through this, uh, this really quickly. If you look at verses 5 to 6, what does it say? It says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves, right, those who are walking in freedom, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, uh, but only faith working through love. Now, um, there's a ton there in those two verses. I don't have the time to unpack all of them. But notice the three words that are highlighted there that's, that may stand out to you. There's faith, hope and love. Those three words are what uh, scholar, biblical scholars uh, often call the triumvirate of the gifts of grace, right? Uh, faith, hope, and love. It's the whole of what it means to live the Christian life. But notice, right, uh, what needs to come before that is freedom, right? Freedom is the thing that unlocks a li life of faith, 
uh, hope, and love, right? Uh, you need freedom to have faith, right? Freedom to live in unqualified trust in the goodness of God for you, right? You cannot have that kind of faith if you are not to be freed, right, from uh, the anxiety that comes from uh, not being sure of how God thinks of you. In order for you to have hope, you need to freedom to live in unqualified optimism for what God is going to do at the end of time. If you are unsure of that, you cannot live in hope. Freedom is what allows us to love. Freedom from the need to constantly serve yourself, for you to be so bent in on yourself. Freedom is what allows you now to turn your attention towards others out of the wealth of the love that you experience from God. Right? To live a life of faith, hope, and love, right? That is God's plan for you. And again, the freedom that comes from Jesus is the thing that unlocks it all. Now, here's what this means for us. In God's economy, according to what we uh, read about in Scripture, according to what we know from Scripture, enjoying this kind of freedom is not only going to be much more satisfying for you than living a life of obedience, but living in this kind of freedom glorifies God far more than a Christian that is living a life of obedience. Us living a life of freedom brings far more glory and honor unto God than us living a life of obedience. Now, especially for those of us that would consider ourselves to be religious, here's the question. What is your guiding principle in life? Is it pursuing this freedom or is it pursuing a moral and religious life or a respectable life? Right? What are you seeking after in the ways that you raise your children? Is it to enjoy freedom or is it to teach your children how to live rightly or to even believe in the right things? In the way you think about your career choices, are you making these choices out of the freedom that you have in Jesus to pursue his calling as a freed person? Or are you doing so out of duty, obligation, responsibility, or before the gaze of others? What Paul is saying here is that he is exhorting us, seek after this freedom. Do everything that you can to stand firm in it, to live out of it, because what is at stake is not just your happiness, but the honor of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. This is how important Christian freedom is. <clears throat> but having said that, now we need to ask the question of, well, if it's so important for us to keep it, then how, what are some ways that it can get lost, Right? And here, what's really interesting is I just want to focus on really one verse and one word, really. Because if you look at the first verse again, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, the word stand firm there uh, is in militaristic terms. And so, it goes, if you're in a heated battle, 
right? You see arrows whizzing by you and swords clanging and that kind of a thing. And let's say you're, you know, you've been in a heat of battle for a really long time. And once the battle dies down and it's over, if you're standing, what happened? You won. You survived. And so what Paul is saying is use that same level of intensity and intentionality to guard this freedom. Now, here's what logic tells us. If you need to guard freedom, then it goes that it can also be lost. You can lose your freedom. Now, I need to be uh, clear here. What what the Bible tells us is that Christian salvation uh, comes to us surely by the grace of God. You do nothing to contribute to that salvation. And so if you brought nothing to the table for the salvation that is given to you, then the Bible tells us that, that you can't do anything to have that salvation taken away from you. Because salvation is given to you freely by grace. It is you are kept in it by the sheer grace of God. So you can never lose your salvation, but what this passage is telling us is that while it is impossible for you to lose your salvation, it is entirely possible to lose your freedom, lose a sense of that freedom. And we'll see in a moment how easily it is lost. And here, um, this entire insight that I'm about to give you actually comes from uh, Pastor Tim Keller. It was so helpful for me to uh, read what he said about it. But he says, notice this in, in the first verse again. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit. What's the word that comes after that? And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, from context, we know that when Paul talks about the yoke of slavery, he's thinking about circumcision. But we were just told earlier that uh, the letter of Galatians was written to Gentile Christians who had never been circumcised before. So what does it mean? What, what is Paul talking about when he says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery? It is both literally and theologically impossible for a person to be circumcised twice. And so what is Paul talking about? He's saying, he's illustrating us, uh, for us this. He's illustrating for us the two ways in which we can lose our freedom. We can lose our freedom through irreligion, but we can also lose our freedom to religion. See, again, Paul is writing to Gentile Christians. And so what Paul would say is that the life of Galatians, uh, before becoming a Christian, they would say that they were, they were living in the bondage of sin. Sin being the propensity in each and every single one of us to live for anything other than God. And so what Paul would say, before you became a Christian, you were living under the bondage of proving your existence to the universe. And saying whatever it is, whether it's through your career, through your morality, through your piety, through the way you raise your children, through your romantic life, whatever the case may be, you're constantly trying to prove your existence to the world. And what Paul would say is that that inevitably leads to uncertainty, anxiety, and a sense of guilt that can never be shaken. You're always going to be striving for the rest of your life and running towards that which you can never attain. Constantly asking the question, am I, li- am I living the kind of life that I should be living? Um, every now and then we get this magazine, We Live in Ridgewood. 
Um, and we, we get this magazine called, I think it's called Ridgewood Living. And we get it in the mail every single time. And I flip through uh, its pages every single time I get it. Because, you know, I just want to get a pulse of what's going on in the neighborhood, right? I want to be a part of what's going on here. Um, <clears throat> but here's what happens inevitably. Inevitably, uh, I get drawn into these interesting people that are profiled in the magazine. Uh, that's almost always uh, living more interesting lives than I am, right? There, every single one of them that I read about are effort somehow, magically, effortlessly juggling career, hobbies, and children, and they're able to do all of that while maintaining a beautiful house that is spotless and beautiful, beautiful furniture and decor. I'm like, how do you do that? And as I read this, I find myself like questioning everything. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> right, but that is a product of, of, of placing your life before anything other than God and saying, here's the good life. And comparison comes inevitably. And you're always having to ask the question of, what am I doing with my life? So that's the bondage that irreligion uh, uh, puts us under. But probably even more dangerous, according to Paul, is the burden of religion. And I'm willing to bet for many of us, we were delivered out of the yoke of irreligion, but unfortunately we find ourselves right under the yoke of religion. So what happens is uh, we go from living under the expectations that the world has placed on us, right under the expectations of what you think God places on you. And if anything, that is even more burdensome than any expectation that the world has to place on us. Why? Because we put the word God in there. God is the God of the universe, the creator of everything, and the upholder of everyone. And here's what moralism and legalism that comes from religion does. It, it, it drives you towards anxiety because you're constantly wondering, am I doing enough for God? Am I living right enough for God? I mean, that's a cosmic burden that is now put on you. And what's especially so dangerous about the burden of religion is because it is so easy for this burden to manipulate your heart. That all the while you're thinking you're living in freedom, why you're constantly living under the yoke of the oppression that religion brings to you. And here's what this can look like. Uh, for many of you... <clears throat> You have been blessed, and I can, I can say this because I'm not the main preacher of our church. Uh, many of you have been blessed to sit under uh, the excellent gospel-centered preaching of Pastor Aaron for the last couple of years. And so you're coming to church and hearing beautiful gospel-centered sermons every single Sunday. And I also had the privilege of uh, spending 10 years not just under Pastor Aaron's preaching, but for most of my life. Um, also my adult life, having sat under uh, wonderful gospel-centered sermons weekly. And so you hear gospel-centered sermons every single week. And yet, and yet as a pastor, <clears throat> I remember talking to countless congregants, sitting under that same gospel-centered preaching, Every single week, speaking to people that are living in absolute fear and anxiety. How does that happen? You hear the gospel every single Sunday that tells you that you are free. Here's what happens. 
when difficulties come your way, when you're going through a dry spell spiritually, when you feel like you're constantly lashing out at your spouse, whatever it is that you may be going through, you ask the question, am I not appreciating the gospel enough? Am I not grateful enough to God for all that he has given to me? You see how easily religion can be manipulated to trick you into falling under the burden of religion. It can happen in any context. Every which way you'll turn, you'll find something other than the love of God that is clamoring for your loyalty. And once you give into it, it will enslave you. That's why 1 Peter 5, Peter says, <clears throat> Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, uh, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. To have you under its burden. It can be religion. It can be irreligion. And that's why Paul tells us to be like a soldier, to fight for your freedom, to take every thought captive, right, to take every measure, right, to get together with others in your church community to make sure that you are guarding this freedom, to call one another out when it feels like they're living under the yoke of religion or under the expectations that the world is looking to put on them. And again, what's at stake is not just your happiness, but the glory of God himself. <clears throat> but the last, this last point here, if it is so easy for us to fall prey and to fall under the burden of uh, the expectations that are placed on us, then how are we to guard this freedom? How do we keep this freedom? Now, I want to look at the last couple of verses here. <clears throat> Again, verses 5 to 6. Paul says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Now, we talked about faith, hope, and love, right? Being the whole of the Christian life. <clears throat> now, those are implications of a life that is lived with freedom. Right? If you're living your life out of freedom, it's going to exhibit faith, hope, and love. But the question is, where does it start? Where does the life of freedom start? Where is the source of this freedom? Well, it tells us right here that it is through the Spirit. It begins with the Spirit of God. You know what that tells us first? It tells us that you can't manufacture this kind of freedom yourself. Right? You know this intuitively, right? Especially when you're faced with the kind of pressure to make it on your own. Uh, when, when, you're, when you're constantly trying to uh, live out of a sense of, of, of proving your existence before the world. And especially if you're going through a difficult time. You know that there's no amount of Bible verses, as pretty as they may be decorated, uh, that can really make a difference in your life. Right? To bring about this kind of freedom in you. No. Paul is telling us it is impossible for you to uh, drum up this sense of freedom on your own. It has to be given to you. It has to be the Spirit of God himself that is creating that sense of freedom in your heart. And so you may be asking, like, oh, I, I can't get out of this, like, type A personality where I need to be productive, where I need to do something. So how am I supposed to get the Holy Spirit, you may ask. 
And here's a simple truth <clears throat> that when I really internalized it this week as I was studying this text, that just knocked me out of my socks. How do you get this freedom? How does this Holy Spirit come into your heart in creating this kind of freedom that you and I so desperately need? You ask for it. You ask for it. Luke chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking. And this is one of those texts that are so easily kind of mistaught. But Luke 11, here's what Jesus says. <clears throat> what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to get good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This transcendent, right, otherworldly freedom, right, the freedom that has the power to push back against the tide of your circumstances, push back against the tide of the weight that is on your shoulders that is placed either by religion or uh, the world, that is looking to suck you back into a world of anxiety and dread and fear and constant striving. This kind of freedom is a gift, Friends, I have to say as a pastor that I find this to be a constant challenge in discipleship. We are conditioned, right, because of one reason or another, to ask for far little from God. Right, you know that famous C.S. Lewis quote? It's used in a different context, but I think it makes sense here. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, let me just say here, there's nothing wrong with asking God for small things. For the fixes of your life, right? For the little circumstances that happen. Again, as a good father, he loves listening to us. But you know what children do? They are audaciously asking for things that they do not deserve. The one thing that we need to learn from our children is to be like that before God. To be audacious before God and saying, you know what, God? I'm going through A, B, and C in my life. Would you fix it? But more than that, would you make me so free in you? that these things do not bother me as much as they are right now. God, I feel like I'm living under the burden of the expectations of my family of providing for them and to making sure that they're living a good life, of, of, the, of the burdens of religion and saying I need to go to church and be serving in this way and that way, and I feel like I'm constantly being driven by the guilt of the life that I'm supposed to live, that I, a standard that I can never measure up to. God, would you free me from that? To say to God, I am going to come before you audaciously. I am asking you to give me the kind of freedom that is going to transcend circumstances. That even though I may walk through the valley of shadow of death, that I will fear no evil, for I know that you as a good father, that you are with me. What kind of father doesn't love to give good gifts to their children? 
Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit that will create this freedom in your heart, that will lead you into a life of faith, hope, and love? And for far too many of you, maybe it is what you have experienced in the past, what you have done or what's been done to you, you cannot fathom a situation in which you are guaranteed what you ask for. And to that, let me say, you know what? You're probably right. If you're thinking this is too good to be true, it is because it is too good to be true. If you're thinking this is too easy that I just need to ask, you're right. It is because it is too easy for you. See, this freedom, if you're thinking, I can't just be handed that, can I? You're absolutely right. You can't be handed that freedom. No, that freedom was won for you. That freedom was won for you. See, you and I, we can stand firm and be diligent and vigilant in the guarding of this freedom because Jesus Christ in the heat of battle stood firm for you. He could have walked away and said, this is not my fight. But he said, you know what? I will go on that cross and I will bring with me into my death the sin and death and the guilt and the shame that plagues my people. And I will nail it to the cross. Colossians chapter 2, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Is there anything in your life that is looking to take away the freedom that you have in Jesus, that is looking to burden you with its weight? Are you living with anything other than joyful hope towards the future, complete reliance and trust upon a God who is good to you? in loving and sacrificial service to others, is there anything that is pulling you away from that? You need to look at that in the eyes and say, you are disarmed. Because my Lord and Savior Jesus put you to open shame when he took you to the cross and died with it. That is a kind of freedom that was won for you. And that is the kind of freedom that God is now calling us to live in. So friends, when you're being attacked on all sides with the circumstances of your life, with insecurity, anxiety, fear, and dread, would you look to the cross where your freedom was won, where your freedom was declared? It is for freedom that Christ has set you and I free. So would you walk in that freedom now? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we, as your children, come before you admitting that we don't still quite understand what it means to live in that kind of freedom. For far too many of us, we've lived in, under bondage for so long, we don't even know what freedom looks like. And so for those of us that are um, working through what that means, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come. 
And we pray that you would manufacture that freedom in our hearts. And God, we pray, Lord God, that as we walk in that freedom, would you allow us to live lives of faith, hope, and love for our satisfaction and for your glory and for the sake of the world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.